fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market laissez-faire capitalist society allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome into another day. It is the Wednesday, the midweek celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. That's what we say at least every day here. Why? Because we are the eternal optimists, and that's why we continue to put a smile on our face, even with the Biden administration still in power, even with the crazy shenanigans that go on all day in the world we still find the optimism and the bright side because there is always an opportunity for us to do something good about what's going on in the world. Welcome into the show. This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. Wherever you may be watching or listening, we appreciate you very, very much, as we always do. Coming up, bottom of the hour, David Bernstein. Brand new guest on the program. He is author of the book Classified, the untold story of racial classification in America. Oh, yes, we're going there. We're talking identity politics today at the bottom of the hour. And I know it's a touchy subject for some. It's an important conversation. It's something that conservatives do not shy away from because we are on the right side of history. Factually and metaphorically speaking, as you could say, the right side of history is we try to end identity politics and the division within society based on race, based on culture, based on religion, based on skin color, based on sexual orientation. We just don't care who you are and what you do with your life as long as you are a good human being. That's all that we really give a crap about. So we'll talk about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. I got to say, I was on, as you know, we always talk about the different streaming services that we do for the program which OpsLens, O-P-S-L-E-N-S.com. We are on their website, also on their app, which you can download for free and watch all of their programs, including this one. And you can watch on their social media feeds, which blast out on a lot of pages. I know it's on their Facebook, on their Getter, on their Twitch, on their uh, Twitter page, I believe. And then we try to share it out to ours as well at Who's Your Reason on our social media. But we're also on TheNextGenUSA.com and their live stream page, as well. But we're also, because I've been working with some of the programs here to do our video streaming to all the different outlets, that I've put our show back onto our own channels at Who's Your Reason on Twitch.tv and on YouTube. So if you are there, you can watch those. The problem is, we got on YouTube and we were there for about three days. And again, I have gotten an email saying that they have removed our content for quote unquote misinformation. <laughs> breaking community standards misinformation and breaking community standards so already three days back onto our own social media page on youtube we have been banned they're probably shutting down our page by now with how many times we've been banned i can't go more than about a week without them at least freezing it and removing content so i don't know what to do about youtube to hell with you guys i have a complaint though and for those that are like oh the conservative alternative andy go to rumble go to rumble which we have a rumble account I do not do much with our Rumble account. I need to figure out how to go live on Rumble. I don't know how to do that, so I'm still looking into that one. But can I be blatantly honest? As much as I love Rumble for being the alternative to YouTube, Rumble is not very good. And here's why I say that. You cannot watch a video more than 15 to 20 seconds without an ad interrupting your program. 
Now, YouTube, I thought was bad because I tried to listen to like an, an actual album of a, of a, an artist or a band or something. I tried to listen to a full album or I listened to a live video stream of a, a you know, it's binaural beats or meditation music or something on there. And there's a lot of, or even just a regular video. And within maybe 10 minutes or so, an ad will interrupt my broadcast on there. But on Rumble, you literally cannot watch a video without 20 seconds worth of being interrupted with an ad popping up and it gets very annoying so while i i respect the hell out of rumble for trying to be the competitor and the alternative to youtube i i have a hard time with rumble because there are way too many ads and they interrupt way too often gotta work on that a little bit that's my little rant for it but you can find us all over our social media at who's your reason on facebook youtube twitter twitch.tv getter Instagram, TikTok. Yes, I do have a TikTok. No, I have not made a video in a while. I need to get back at doing that. I just have not had the time to do so. And I don't know why you guys like to watch my ugly mug anyways, but nonetheless, uh, we do have all those social media. All of them are at the same handle at Who's Your Reason, H-O-O-S-E-R, Reason. All right, bottom of the hour, David Bernstein will talk about the social media, or we'll talk about the racial classification, history of racial division here in the nation. There's a lot to get to. There was a couple days ago, we had Donald Trump talking on Fox News and the Sean Hannity Show about the FBI raid. We'll get to that in just a second. But first and foremost, we need to give our thoughts and prayers and shout out to those down in Florida getting hit by this ridiculous hurricane. This is insane. Cat 4 winds up to 155 miles an hour. Some are saying it's catastrophic. A million individuals without power right now. In fact, all of Cuba is out of power, which tells me that socialism has finally hit, officially, the country of Cuba. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Communism and socialism has already been there, but nonetheless, they're they're completely out of power down in Cuba and Florida. Over a million individuals are out of power as well. The 155 mile an hour winds. Here's the thing. I mean, it's hurricane season. We knew it was coming at some point with Hurricane Ian, but it's still terrible. I've been watching some of the video of all the water and the flooding and stuff that's going on. Our thoughts and prayers to everybody being affected. Hopefully, the vast majority of people have evacuated and are safe and sound and out of the place. But while this is going on, the frustrating part about this incident is the media, of course, is covering it. They went directly from Queen Elizabeth's death for the last month into hurricane coverage. They're not talking about the potential government shutdown. They're not talking about other big issues that we talked about yesterday. But while the media is trying to cover this hurricane and then showing how, quote-unquote, catastrophic it is, and they're criticizing Ron DeSantis about how he's handling the issue with the hurricane, then we have Joe Biden out there not even criticizing anybody. But just saying, hey, energy companies, hey, oil companies, we'd really appreciate it if you don't raise your gas prices and oil prices at the time of the hurricane. That's his response to the private sector. Not our thoughts and prayers are with you. Not the, you know, we have FEMA ready to go. We have, you know, the National Guard trying to come down and assist individuals. We're trying to get you evacuated. We're helping out. I mean, that stuff's just kind of granted and thrown in there. But no, his response is, hey, oil companies, We know you're going to try and gouge individuals because you're the evil criminal crooks that are the energy industry, and you're going to try and gouge everybody with your oil prices. Please don't do that. Not, we're going to release and actually suspend the federal gas tax. Not, we're going to open up drilling in other places so we can compensate for the drilling of oil for the places that are stopped right now because of the hurricane. Not that type of message. Just please don't. I know that you're having to cease operation. And the oil industry already has taken a big hit. And we already have a shortage because we've emptied our reserves right now. Please don't raise prices. 
because it's not our fault as the government. It's your fault. He's the evil, greedy jerks that you are in the corporation that's actually handling the energy industry. That's the response we get from the Biden administration because it's everybody else's fault except for yours. At the same time, I find it quite ironic that we see the issue going on in Denmark with a pipeline along with an explosion. Now, this is not confirmed, so don't quote me on this, but I've seen some stories. I have not been able to look too terribly deep into these about some type of uh, pipelines or reserves in Russia that have blown up or have been released of oil as well. And they're saying that it is sabotage and they're looking at the U.S. it being the reason for it. Now, if that's true or not, I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. I will say, though, on a political front, it it kind of makes sense if we did something like that. Or it would make sense, at least I could see the Biden administration doing something like that. you got to remember, this conflict with Russia in the Ukraine is still ongoing. The sanctions against the United States, against Russia, are still there, where most of the world right now, or a large portion of the world right now, is not buying oil from Russia because of this conflict that continues to linger. That means that right now, however, Russia is not stopping their drilling of oil, being one of the largest world producers of oil out there. They're not stopping it. They're stockpiling it in massive quantities. So when the conflict is over and the sanctions are ended, they can flood the market with oil. Gas prices are going to drop dramatically, and then they can have the absolute power and control over the energy industry because everybody's going to be desperate to get some since they have so much of it, and they're going to be one of the richest nations on the face of the earth. They are playing this as the communists very, very, very smart, and U.S. and other nations are very, very, very dumb for allowing it to happen. Now, the politics of this... If this is true and the reserves are getting blown up or destroyed or leaked out in Russia and the pipelines in Denmark and those areas are being drained as well and they are claiming sabotage and they're pointing the finger at the United States, either it's a political hit job because they're wanting to start a conflict with the U.S. because they don't like us sending over a billion dollars more again over to the Ukraine for military aid and humanitarian aid and all the other aid that we've been sending over to Russia or over to the Ukraine, because right now it equals, what, anywhere between 40 to $50 billion that we've sent over there since March, when it started happening, March and April? Oh, yes, we've sent a lot of money, and we're about to send more, especially with this bill that we talked about yesterday with this omnibus extension of uh, our federal budget since we didn't do a budget, and we need that continuing resolution. So we have more money going over there, and then all of a sudden this oil industry is starting to get affected. So while Joe Biden's telling drillers in Florida not to continue to drill, he tells energy uh, he doesn't open up uh, more drilling across Texas or other places to compensate for it for the oil company. So that way we can still maintain the proper little bit of oil that we're actually drilling and putting into the system. And then all of a sudden there's an issue over in Russia with their reserves and pipelines coming out of Denmark and that area up in the Nordic regions next to Russia that they have ties with. And then all of a sudden, all of those go away, and then we're sitting back and saying, oh, look, I guess there's no more oil. I guess we have to go to alternative energies. Politically, it makes sense. It's malicious. It's horrible. It's it's terrible if that's what's actually happening. But I wouldn't put it past the Biden administration. Because why? They don't want Russia to have a dominant market. And instead of us compensating by competing and drilling ourselves, we're just going to sabotage their reserves and poking the bear that could potentially lead to a major conflict with the U.S. and Russia. Or they're playing that political game because they want to create 
an international issue and a bigger conflict with the United States and with China getting involved in everything as well. And while you, uh, the United States has been protecting its interest on both sides of the aisle, and by that I mean, yes, the both sides of the aisle, both Russia and the Ukraine, some say, well, Russia, I, I love the conspiracies that were at the beginning of this conflict from uh, some were like, well, you know, Russia's doing the good thing. They're getting rid of the corrupt government in the Ukraine. Okay, that's not true for one. Number two, every government's corrupt, including, yes, probably the Ukrainian government and Zelensky. I do give him the kudos for standing up for his nation and defending it like he needs to. So hoorah to that. Outside of that, I mean, yeah, we need to make sure Russia doesn't just expand its Soviet Union again. At the same time, though, the sanctions that we put onto Russia have not done anything against them. It has not harmed them at all. So we're still protecting them in some degree as well. So we have interest on both sides of that conflict. And then, of course, we have the dominance on energy and this power struggle here. The bigger issue, however, is what's going on. And I think this should be a lesson for the other side of the aisle, especially on global governments trying to dictate what nations are allowed to do with their military, with their policymaking, with their humanitarian efforts, and with their energy. Because the United Nations, the Geneva Convention, these have failed miserably with an example of what Russia is doing to the Ukraine right now without any repercussions from the global quote-unquote government. Andy, what do you mean? We'll get to that when we come back here in just a second. Because the Geneva Convention has failed miserably, the United Nations refuses to step in and intervene with Russia because they're scared of a global conflict right now, which is proof positive that those are still advocating for an expansion of the United Nations and a centralized global government should reevaluate their values because it's not really working on their behalf. We'll get to that in a second. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You know, there's been a lot of lessons to be learned here with this latest Russia-Ukrainian conflict that's been going on for months right now. The conflict of the ties that we have with leaders of our nation, with both sides of that fight, trying to maintain and look firm and act tough, but not actually do anything, which is why they put sanctions on Vladimir Putin's daughters on freezing their bank accounts. Getting rid of some of the uh, like financial apps of like, I don't know, what do you have, PayPal and Venmo and some of those other ones that you're not allowed to use apparently in Russia right now. Trying to stop those closing some of the banks, but not to the official leaders of the nation, but to the people of the nation uh, in the country of Russia, which only affects business there. So you're straining and strapping the people while the government continues to do what they've done. They were in preparation for what they were doing, and they knew what kind of sanctions were going to be placed on them worldwide, and they were prepared for that. And you think that you're doing something, and then Joe Biden says, we're talking tough, and we're going we're gonna to stand up to those guys. Okay. Yeah, good luck with that. At the same time, this should be an example, another lesson that we should learn about global governments and how it's failed at misery. Could we at least agree on that on both sides of the aisle? Republicans and Democrats alike, liberals, progressives, conservatives, Republicans, whatever. Can we agree that global governments like the United Nations are completely useless pieces of you-know-what? Can we agree to that? Because they're still pushing this whole United Nations centralized power. Let's centralize it at the federal level. Then we can centralize that power from the federal level up to the international level. And then they can tell us what to do. Because, by golly, it's going to work. And if they don't like it, we'll come after you with our blue helmets. (laughs) 
and see how well that actually works when we fund like 80% of the United Nations and all the military for the blue helmets as well. So I find that kind of cute. But this is a prime example because how many how many humanitarian laws, international laws, have been broken during this invasion of Ukraine with Putin having his soldiers targeting civilians in the Ukraine, targeting apartment complexes? I get it. They're trying to take over cities. You take over the city by running out the officials and saying this is now our territory. You don't go after the people, even when the people are fighting against you, which they did not expect, by the way, which is why this has been so difficult for them. So they're targeting apartment complexes. This is not World War II where you're just bombing random apartment buildings and businesses and just blowing up entire cities thinking you're doing some type of justice in God's name, as Vladimir Putin said during his big rally just a few months ago. At the same time, those have been captured. The POWs. There was a there was an interview with Greta over on Newsmax just a day or so ago, talking to a couple of Uranium POWs, and this is what they had to say about how they were treated in a POW camp with Russian soldiers holding them captive. The guy that actually were in the prison as a POW, and the treatment was bad. Of course, or we can just in one word or one statement we could say that all Geneva Conventions were failed there. So like what? Give me an example. Not human treatment, like not how? education. He, when he got wounded, they just uh, gave him a, like uh, so-called antibiotics after a week. Uh, medics are just trying to keep him alive on the level to keep as much as possible for the, uh, before they find out who is he, is it valuable for them or not, or to exchange. But generally, no treatment was done from uh, medics from their side. A treatment was done. An individual was wounded, shot multiple times, has an infection, bleeding out, and they didn't give him antibiotics, not even taking care. Now, if you're trying to win over a nation to rule over them, theoretically at least, I don't know because I've never been in a situation to be like, hey, I'm going to go take over this nation and, and make them part of ours. Theoretically, I would think that you would want to treat them with somewhat decency so they would at least enjoy or be okay with the transition of power but to fight against an enemy and then not treat them properly at the same time blowing up apartment buildings of civilians at the same time just brutally uh, assaulting individuals and then treating the pow's like crap like that this is not vietnam or korea where we're just going to let people die in a jungle that's not the way this is supposed to be i get this is war but they're not supposed to be a war you created this and you're acting like the monster man i'm telling you where's the united nations here where is the violation against Geneva? We don't need a five-year-long investigation. We need him taken out and arrested and tried now, or else it's proof positive that world governments don't actually work or do anything. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Moving on through the day, moving on through the week already. It is a Wednesday midweek celebration, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. Thanks for hanging out with us. Multiple radio stations all over the country, TV, live streaming and podcasting. However you watch, listen to the show. I've been... uh, just on the home front here, for those that don't know, here in the Wichita area where my flagship radio station is, I'm a campaign manager for a state representative here. 
in the Wichita area. We've been out knocking doors for the last couple of weeks and talking to individuals and, you know, dropping the door leaflets. And it is so awesome. First off, to get out and about now that the weather's getting cooler, it's kind of nice to actually go out and do that. But to talk to people, to hear what's on their mind politically, what's been bothering them what's been frustrating them, and to be able to give some hope again that, hey, we have some great candidates out there on the local front where all the activism happens, where all the change actually happens. We have some great uh, a great momentum, and to hear that is encouraging to me because when you read the news day in and day out, it gets pretty exhausting, gets pretty devastating at times, and when you talk to people and they're frustrated, but they're not frustrated like I'm just angry and fed up, but I'm frustrated, let's go get some stuff done, then it's encouraging, and it's it's uh, heartening. It's exciting. And it re- kind of refuels that tank. So it's awesome. My encouragement, as I always say on this show, is while we do this on a semi-national scale, trying to grow with more affiliates all the time, get involved locally. Be that catalyst of change because Washington, D.C. is not going to do anything for you that's beneficial in any way, shape, or form. It is going to be you at the local level, that local catalyst, you getting involved, running for a city council or a a school board membership or state legislative seat or a county commission, however you're set up or whatever you want to run for, get involved. If nothing else, go knock on some doors and go have some fun as well and talk to people and and, uh, chat with those that are like-minded as well. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit here. Talking about that, let's talk about some identity politics. What do you say? Because that one's always a triggering moment for those. What's trending today? So, as you know, the other side of the aisle, they love focusing on identity politics for sure. It's all about identity. It's got to be about the gender. It's got to be about your skin color. It's got to be about your race or religion. It's got to be about your culture. It's got to be about your sexual identification or your sexual preferences or whatever else they try to say. And for me, I get to that point where I just I, I don't care. I just don't care. I I like to go back to the old uh, Martin Luther King value of judge someone for the character that they have, not for the skin color. I also use that for everything else under the sun that they try to identify as. But unfortunately, that's not the way the world works. And we've used classification and identity politics for really since the beginning of this nation. And while we've gotten better, obviously, we still have work to do. And what do we look at and how we've evolved and how we've grown and changed over the years. Really happy to have this guy on the program with us here. He is the author of the new book, Classified, The Untold Story of Racial Classification in America. He holds a university professorship at the and chair at the Antonin Scalia Law School, George Mason University, where he's been teaching uh, for a few years now. Excited to have on the program here with us, Mr. David Bernstein. David, how are you, my friend? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. Let's talk about the touchy subject of identity politics because this triggers a lot of individuals, but it's a conversation that needs to get out with the true history of what's gone on with identity politics in this nation. Sure. So, you know, uh, we all check boxes all the time. We apply for a mortgage or for a job or for college or register our kids for school, and we've just gotten really used to it. We don't even really notice. But if you sit back and think about it, you may say to yourself, wait a second, what does it mean to say someone is Hispanic? Why are we putting someone who is a European from Spain and their descendants in the same box as someone who might be part Indian, part black, and, you know, and, and, part, and part European and be very dark-skinned? Or why are we putting in the Asian box someone from Pakistan, someone from China, and someone from the Philippines when they don't look alike, they don't have the same culture? And you know, the, the Asian-American category encompasses like 65 percent of the world's population. And the short answer is that these classifications are really pretty arbitrary. They don't make much sense, but the federal government invented them or 
in some cases, in some cases, and in some cases, sort of you know, put them into law when they were already sort of in the ether, uh, in order to for record keeping, in order to keep track of well, how are the civil rights laws working? How are kids doing education? But they say we're just doing this for statistical purposes. We're not saying these are scientific or anthropological categories. But it turns out that uh, the way things have evolved, they have become just the way a lot of people identify themselves or identified by others. They make you eligible or not for affirmative action. They were never intended to do that, but um, uh, they, they just the government just sort of said, okay, we're going to put everyone who has a Spanish-speaking ancestor together in one category, and we've just kind of come to accept that. Yeah, we have come to accept it, and it's very strange. I guess the big question is, the next question is, has affirmative action, have some of these civil rights laws worked in the nation based on these findings that we've studied over the years? Well, you know, a lot of the programs, for example, uh, we talk about affirmative action in higher education a lot, but that only applies to really a few people who are applying to the most selective colleges. The, the real action, uh, which gets a lot less of attention, is in government contracting. Mm-hmm. Even though the Supreme Court has said this is often unconstitutional, the government has kept doing it anyway for the last 30 years, and there's billions and billions of dollars at stake. And that was really intended initially back in the 70s to uh, benefit African Americans who had been really excluded from government contracting by a combination of discrimination, old boy networks, and so forth. And the oddity there is that even though it was meant for uh, black Americans primarily, they also threw in at the time Hispanics and Asians and Native Americans were at the time a small percentage of the population. But now there are twice as many of them as African Americans. There's a lot of fraud also with the Native American classification in particular. So long st- and there's a lot of people who have like one Mexican grandparent they could qualify. So long story short, a program that was really meant very specifically and narrowly to help African Americans temporarily. Uh, enter the contracting business now primarily benefits people who recently immigrated and and their children. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, we don't talk about the government contracts a whole lot. Most of the conversation usually focuses around education, but it makes sense with those government contracts as well. What I don't understand is when we do these classifications and we fill out an application, we fill out a government form, and it asks us our race on there. It asks us, you know, it's are you Hispanic, are you Native American, but it doesn't specify. And do they care about the type of Hispanic that you are, whether it's Mexican or Venezuelan or, you know, whatever, or the white? It's just white. And there's a lot of, as you know, I mean, there's a lot of different, quote unquote, whites out there between German and Irish and French and everything else. Does that stuff matter to them or is it just kind of a generalization that they try to go for here? Uh, I'm glad you said that because I was a little embarrassed, actually. I was writing the whole book, you know, the classified book, and then towards the end I realized, you know, I've talked about how ridiculous Asian and uh, Hispanic all these classifications are, but I didn't mention white because I've gotten used to that as well. (laughs) But you're right. There's so many different subgroups within the white classification. I quote somebody saying, you know, it's a government-created pseudo-race. What is you know, it includes everyone from Afghans who are in the white classification to Moroccans to Iceland to Turkey to Armenia to Italy to Norway. What do these people have in common, really, except that the government has decided that they're all part of one group? So the short answer is that, uh, you know, they do, you know, sometimes on the census for record-keeping purposes, ask you about what country you're coming from. But for the most part, when the government's collecting data uh, or when they're ju- or more specifically when they're looking into affirmative action uh, stuff, they don't really care where you're from. 
And it's kind of, and it does, it has led to some controversy because, for example, affirmative action in higher education was again meant to bring in primarily African Americans, for example, who were uh, previously excluded from educational opportunities. But a very large percentage of the black students who are benefiting from it are uh, recent immigrants and their children and grandchildren from Africa and the Caribbean who never faced discrimination in the United States historically. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a weird line, and I'm not sure how they try to justify one or the other. We're talking with David Bernstein, author of the book Classified, The Untold Story of Racial Classification in America. You can find it on Amazon, also at posthillpress.com, and you can find the book there as well. Uh, when did this system, quote-unquote, take effect? Is this post-Civil War, after the releasing of slaves, after the Union came back together, after the nation tried to rebuild, and we started talking about civil rights issues? I mean, is that when this type of classification really started nationwide? It's really, really the federal government only classified people uh, for two purposes until the 1950s. One purpose was for immigration laws, because there were immigration laws banning you from immigrating if you were Asian. So they had to define Asian. And also for the census, they kept track primarily of who was black and who was white. They later added, like, Chinese and Japanese. But other than that, the federal government had no official classification. And the modern system of the federal government making these classifications really only dates back to the 1950s when they started trying to enforce uh, anti-discrimination rules against government contractors. And what they found is, well, we could ask the contractors to sign a pledge they don't discriminate, but how do we know they're not lying? Well, the only way we know if they're lying or not is if they report to us uh, who they are employing, uh, make sure that they're not completely excluding certain groups. Well, how do they know who is of what group? Well, they don't know who's Polish or Irish or Jewish or Catholic because you can't tell by looking at them, but you can generally tell who's black or who's uh, Asian and, to some extent, who's Mexican. Uh, so we're just going to go with those visible minorities. We don't want to ask people what their background is, <laughs> so we'll just let them look. I mean, this is sort of, they, they thought it was offensive. At the, in those days, it was considered offensive to ask someone what your background is when you're applying for a job. Yeah. They could have added all sorts of groups. There are a lot of groups that face discrimination historically, like Catholics, but yeah, uh, if you're only going to look to figure out who's who, you can only really go with the visible minorities, and that's why those are the groups that we tabulate. Such an absurd, ridiculous, like you said, superficial level. We don't care about the details. We just want to look at your skin color. In about 30 seconds here, i got to ask, now moving forward, now that we have this LGBTQ and the transgenderism and all this other stuff with sexual preferences and sexual orientation, when we do applications, now we can say we prefer not to say with our gender. Uh, can we do that now with our race as well and just say, I prefer not to tell you what my race is? It's sometimes it's a little tough. You don't always have to really fight with the authorities. But here's the rub. Yeah, for a lot of government-bandated data collection, if you don't specify your race, someone else is supposed to figure, you know, guess what you are by looking at you or looking at your last name and, wow. and plug it in anyway. So it's hard to get around it. Wow. They want to make sure they got that. It is classified. The untold story of racial classification in America. David, it's great to talk to you, my friend. I love the conversation. we got to do this again soon, my friend. All right, thank you very much. Hey, we appreciate that very much. There it is. Check out the book. Highly recommend you read that one as we go on with how identity politics is changing and evolving or devolving, I guess. Lots more coming up. Stay here. With Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. John Wright of this. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a midweek celebration. Thanks again to David Bernstein coming on the program. Great conversation. I love that identity politics issue because that is the lowest common denier, the lowest of IQ is to lump someone in based on their skin color. Not just skin color. They're not even talking about heritage. They're not even talking about your history or where you really came from. They don't care. They just want to see the color of your skin. And if you don't classify yourself, they'll do it for you. That's how screwed up our government process is in their process of affirmative action or civil rights or whatever they try to claim it now that they're trying to take care of individuals, not based on the true actual information that you may have or the details of your history or where you may have came from or where your ancestors may have came from. They don't care. It's strictly only about the color of your skin, and they will judge you if you don't judge yourself. That is the system that elite progressives have created in this nation, and it's absolutely pathetic. But not only, they take it a step further, don't they? They take it a step further other than just classification to understand your trends, how much money you make, the type of industry you work in, the number of people in your household, what kind of cars you drive, how many cars you drive. They want to know all your information. We just got to, which I, I told Mrs. Voice of Reason, I told her not to fill it out or at least fill it out wrongly. But there was a survey that we got that was like a census thing. And obviously the U.S. census is over uh, overall for the nation from 2020. But there was a new census uh, survey that we got from the federal government, uh, I don't know, a couple days ago, maybe a week ago. And it was asking about, I think it was asking about the household. And I did some research, and apparently, as, now I had not seen any of these before. I think we had filled them out, may, obviously, for the 2020 census, which she probably filled it out because I don't like those things. And if I had the choice, I wouldn't have filled it out just because, to hell with you, I don't want you to know how much in uh, my information. You already can figure it out if you look hard enough, but I'm not going to make it easy for you for your job in that sense. And I don't care about the government programs in my area because I don't want the government program. So leave me the hell alone and let me just live my life. But outside of the regular census that is there for the nation every 10 years, there are different departments, the department of this, the department of that, that send out different census surveys as well from the federal government to understand banking or to understand housing or to understand whatever. I did not know that. I was not aware. Had not gotten one of those before, but she, I got home one night and Mrs. Voice of Reason asked me, she goes, hey, what, uh, what's some of the information? And it was really about my work and about my income and about the car that I drive and how far that I drive and do I drive every day. And it was asking me all this stupid stuff. And I told her, I said, lie. I shouldn't say this on a public radio program. Now, to tell you, we did not lie. We gave him the proper information because she did it the proper way. But I didn't want to give it to him. Uh, why do they need to know? They do not need to know the distance that I drive to work every single day and how far that is and how long of a drive it is. They don't need to know that. They don't need to know how many people are in my household. They don't need to know. I don't care if they're trying to get a better understanding of lifestyles in America. Great. You don't need to know They take this information and then they take it a step further because then they do these general assumptions that because of a certain gender or a certain skin color or a certain religion, and then based off this information that you provide, then they come out with these assumptions that you must think this way. You must believe this way. You must vote a certain way. And I'm here to tell you that you cannot lump people in to just a basic assumption of the way that they should live their life or vote because that's the identity politics that destroys this nation. Prime case here. 
As Gavin Newsom, the hack governor from the state of California, is trying to push his way into a governor to a presidential race in 2024 as the Democrat nominee, he's done all his crazy left wing progressive crap out of the state of California. But he loves his identity politics on minorities and women and all this other stuff and banning certain things like firearms. What he doesn't understand is right now, according to CNN, CNN running the story, there's a major increase in liberal minority females that are the first-time gun owners in America. Now, why in the world would you think that there is an increase in liberal minority females purchasing firearms, going and getting trained in firearms, and carrying firearms? I'm just throwing the concept out. Maybe it's because they're tired of crime in the streets and attacking women that are trying to take care of their families going to the grocery store or child kidnappings in parking lots or assaults in parking lots or people stalking them in public stores and maybe they want to protect themselves in the crime-ridden streets that Democrats created. But according to their censuses and according to their identity politics, how dare a minority liberal female try to purchase a gun you're not on that radar to be going on that side of the aisle how dare you you're crossing that line you're breaking out of your box that the identity politics contained for you how dare you their world is falling apart that does it for us today podcast up in a bit until then we're back at it tomorrow for a thursday everybody have a great day be your own catalyst for change this is the voice reason i'm andy hoosier we'll see you on the radio